the Christmas experience, not just a celebration, not just a tradition, but an experience. As we take these next few weeks together, I hope that Christmas will become something more personal for you as we walk through the experience and not just the story. This morning we're going to begin in Galatians chapter 4. If you have your copy of scripture with you, we're in Galatians chapter 4. I want us to think together about just the right time. God works at just the right time. We're going to ask three important questions this morning in our text. We're going to ask, when was Jesus born? How was Jesus born? And why was Jesus born? I want us to look at that carefully because we will more fully understand Christmas when we understand when it happened, how it happened, and why it happened. Let's begin in Galatians chapter 4. I want to start at verse 1. We'll start with the first question, when was Jesus born? And he says, I mean that the heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave. Though he is the owner of everything, but he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. And one of the reasons that that's a little confusing right off the bat is because uh, he's doing things kind of backwards compared to what we're used to. He's starting with an illustration, a story, if you will. We usually like to present the idea and then support the idea with an illustration. But he did it backwards. He started with the illustration. So understand those first two verses are simply setting the stage for what he's trying to to get at. And what he says is, there's a little one, a child, an, an heir, as long as he is a child, is no different from a slave. And when he uses that word child, there are two words in the Greek for child or little one. This word is literally translated one who does not speak. In other words, this is such a young child that he or she hasn't even started speaking yet. This is an infant. And he says, this infant is an heir. If you want to think of it in terms of royalty, you could think of the, the, the prince or the princess who's been born at the palace. And they are the heir to the throne. However, Since they're still just basically a a baby, legally speaking, there's no difference between that baby and a servant. Legally speaking, that baby doesn't have any authority, doesn't make any decisions. He or she is an heir, will someday own it all, but for now, that little baby doesn't have any authority, not any real difference between the baby and a servant. Verse 2, he is under guardians and managers. Guardians take care of people. Managers take care of stuff. 
And so here it says that baby is too young to take care of anything. So there are servants who take care of the stuff and servants who take care of the people, including the baby, because the baby can't do it yet. But he is under guardians and managers until the date set by his father. The father decides when the child is mature enough, old enough to start taking on responsibility. And that makes sense because mature decisions cannot be made by someone who still has an immature mind. Right? And I mean, that, that's, why, that's why we have age limits for things. That's why you don't drive until you're 16. That's, that's why you don't vote until you're 18. Why you don't buy and sell alcohol until you're 21. You, you, you don't make mature decisions with an immature mind. And so he says, here, here is an heir. Uh, you know, th they're going to have everything. But for now, they're too young. And so for now, someone else oversees them and teaches them and brings them along the way. And then he starts to explain that picture, verse 3. In the same way, we also, when we were children, were enslaved to the elementary principles of the world. Just like a, 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 a child can't fully understand responsibility yet, so they don't have responsibility yet, in the same way, people could not yet understand relating to God in a personal way. And so he started with very elemental principles. Elementary. That word means one thing that leads to another. One leads to two, leads to three. A leads to B, leads to C. You don't go to high school till you've been to middle school. You don't go to middle school till you started at elementary school. So there is, there, there's something that, that, that starts and then it leads to other things. In this case, the elementary principles are referring to basically the law. God gave us, while we were still spiritual infants, God gave us a guardian, a manager, a tutor, if you will. The law. The law was here to teach us, to prepare us until we were ready to understand the more spiritual things of how we can relate to him. That's really kind of kind of a different thought, and it, it's, it's actually a little bit hard to grasp. So let's, let's back up a little bit, and let's look at the history of humanity. You go back all the way back. Genesis chapter 1 and Genesis chapter 2, God creates the world and he creates mankind. What happens in Genesis chapter 3? Any ideas? We mess up. Genesis chapter 3, the great fall. Humans disobey God. And when that happens... All of creation falls. Everything gets messed up. And, but one of the things that happens at the time of the fall 
is God says to the woman, there will be a day when one of your offspring winds up defeating the enemy who tempted you into all of these problems. And the way he says it is that, that the, the snake will, will bite his heel, but he will, uh, he will crush the snake's head. It's talking about one of these days, the offspring of woman will defeat Satan. So we get that all the way in Genesis 3. And then from that moment on, all of creation is waiting for this one to be born who will eventually finally beat Satan. We're waiting. Where is he? Let him come. Well, while we're waiting, everybody just messes up more and more. And the whole place gets messed up all over again. And so God says, okay, time for a bath. Here comes the flood. We're going to wash everybody away. We're going to start all over. Everybody's gone. We start with the family of Noah. Now we're going to rebuild it again. And Noah starts to rebuild. And from Noah, we we find God's hand touches a family, a specific family, his chosen people. And that family winds up multiplying. They wind up being slaves in Egypt. And then God sends Moses to set those people free from Egypt. And as they come out of Egypt, they wander through the wilderness. God gives them the elementary principles, the law. This is how you live. This is what you do. You remember when your little ones were little? You say that's a no-no. Right? No, no. Well, the little ones catch on. Okay. No, no. But then a couple of years later, why? And you reply, because I said so. Right? Why? Because that little one cannot fully understand all that you understand. The little one can't fully comprehend all of the reasons why you have decided this activity is a no-no. They don't know that touching the burner on the stove hurts. You say no. They say why? I said so. They learn. The law said to people before they could understand a relationship with God, the law said, no, no. Because I said so. You're not ready for the full picture yet. Just do what you're told. And the law started explaining to them not only how to live, but it explained to them that they couldn't keep the law. Now, you hear that? One of the law's purposes, one of the reasons for the law was to prove that you can't keep the law. The law proved our need for a Savior. The law proved that we keep messing up, that we're sinful. It proved we need a Savior. So God gave them the law. They lived under the law for a while. Then they... they, 
they had judges to help them determine the law and, and, and understand the law and apply the law. And then after the judges, they had kings. And in the, in, among the kings, there was the great king David. And, and God said, David, from your lineage, from your people, your family, I'm going to bring a king whose kingdom is going to last forever. And there was that promise. He's still coming. We're still waiting. He's going to come. And then the prophets showed up and the prophets kept saying, he's coming, he's coming, he's coming. And they kept waiting and they kept waiting. And then 400 years of silence from God. The last book of the Old Testament is Malachi. The first book of the New Testament is Matthew. From Malachi to Matthew, 400 years of silence. No prophets, no scripture, no Messiah. And the people waited. Imagine what it must have been like for them to have to wait. 400 years of silence, but longer than that, if you go back to the first time that Jesus was promised, Genesis chapter 3, many scholars count that as about 4,000 years waiting for the promise to be fulfilled. When was Jesus born? Well, he was born after the elemental things had done their job, after the guardians and the managers had taught us that we can't keep the law by ourselves, that we need help. It happened in verse 4. Look. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son. When the fullness of time had come, now, when you, watch the, uh, when you watch the video on Right Now Media this week, Kyle Eidelman, who is the pastor who's hosting us through the videos, he's going to go into more detail on how it was the, the perfect time politically, linguistically, which means all the languages were just right at the right time, um, economically, geographically, how everything was just right. He'll go into all of that, but for our purposes this morning, I want us to just understand this one part of it. And that is that the elementary things in verse 3, the law had laid the groundwork, had, had built the foundation. And so now over time, people had finally gotten to the point where we understood we can't please God on our own. The Bible says our hearts are basically evil. We can't take care of our sin problem by ourselves. Once the law had taught that over centuries, the time was right. The time was perfect. In the fullness of time, God sent forth his son. Now, friends, you've, you've been there. You've been in God's waiting room. I'm ready, God. It's time. Where are you? Come on, God. How long do I have to suffer like this? It's time. 
Enough is enough, God. Come. We've all been in God's waiting room. Remember, it was in the fullness of time that he came. He always comes in the fullness of time, the right time. I think that's probably what Isaiah had in mind when he said, they that wait upon the Lord. In other words, I'm still trusting, I'm still believing, I don't understand the timetable, I don't get the calendar, I don't know why I'm still in the waiting room, but I'm trusting, I wait on the Lord. So Isaiah says, they that wait on the Lord will renew their strength, they will mount up with wings such as eagles. They'll walk and not faint. They'll run and not get weary. We're, 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 we're going to have what we need. Not only what we need to survive, but what we need to soar when we wait on the Lord. And so Paul says to the Galatians, it wasn't time. Y'all weren't ready. The law came to, to prepare the way. The law did its job. And then in the fullness of time, God sent forth his son, which takes us to the second question. Not when was Jesus born, but how was Jesus born? And you've heard it already there in the, in the second phrase of verse four, in the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son. God sent him. You didn't earn him. You didn't find him. You didn't claim him. God sent him. That's the only way it could happen. Even Christmas is an act of mercy. It's an act of grace on God's part. That he loved us so much that he sent his only begotten son. He sent forth his son. Now that caught my attention because God is God. God can do anything and he can do it any way he wants. He could have sent an angel. The angel could have come and told us what we need to know. He could have sent another prophet. The prophet could have told everybody what we need to know. But his interest was not in giving us the information we need. It was in connecting with us in a relationship. And so instead of sending a messenger or a prophet, God sent his son. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. In that way, God steps into humanity so that humanity now can relate to God. God sent his son. That's how Jesus was born. God sent him. But not only that, look, verse 4, the fullness of time had come. God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law. He was sent from God, but he was also born of a woman. He was completely human, born of a woman, thereby fulfilling Genesis 3. But he was born of a woman. When he got hurt, he cried. When he was tired, he needed to rest. When he got hungry, he needed to eat. When he got thirsty, he needed to drink. When he got cut, he bled. When he was executed, he died. Because he was completely human. He had to be human because he came to pay a human price. 
But notice also, God sent him. He was born of a woman, and he was born under the law. That's amazing to me, that he would submit to his own rules, that he would live by the very law that you and I cannot keep on our own. He showed us by his life that he was perfect. He is the only person who's ever walked the face of the earth that could keep the whole law. And the Bible says he never messed up once. He was born under the law in order that he could free us from that law. Which takes us to the third question. Why was Jesus born? When was he born? How was he born? And why? Look at the next verse. To redeem those who were under the law. He was born under the law for a reason. To redeem all of us who were under the law. To redeem means to buy out of slavery. The law has this cycle, and, and it enslaves us. The law says, don't do that. Well, we do it. After we do it, we feel guilty. After we feel guilty, we repent. After we repent, we come back to, to God, and then we do it again. And then we repent, and then we come back. And we're caught in a cycle. The law points out and it shows us how we can't keep up with it all. We're enslaved to the law of sin and death. And so he comes under the law, verse 5, to redeem those who were under the law, to buy us out of that slavery. Why? So that we might receive adoption as sons. We've just gone from slaves to sons. The Son of God, God sent His Son, verse 4, God sent His Son to sinners so that sinners could become children of God. That's incredible news. No wonder the angels were celebrating that night. That's amazing stuff. When was Jesus born? In the fullness of time. How was He born? God sent Him and He was born of a woman and born under the law. Why? To redeem those under the law that we might receive adoption as sons. Verse 6, and because you are sons, God has sent the spirit of his son into our hearts crying, Abba, Father. Abba is such a beautiful word. It's an Aramaic word, which uh, they don't translate it into Greek, so we didn't get it into English because there's not a good Greek translation. I'm not even sure there's a good English translation. The closest thing we have is daddy. It's not just that God is our heavenly father, but in Christ, we are adopted into the family and now he's daddy. There's a close personal connection. He's daddy. Because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. So you are no longer a slave, but a son. And if a son, then an heir through God. You see, he returned to that idea of being an heir. 
because we've been adopted into the family, now we are joint heirs with Jesus. He's our big brother, but we all have been adopted in, so we now can receive. God shares his glory with his son. And one of these days, he will share his glory with all of his children. When we trust in Christ, when we really give him our lives, when when we belong to him, then all of this is open to us. Somebody this morning is going through a tough time. Somebody's been saying, God, how long? How long? Somebody else has been looking forward to Jesus coming back. I want to remind you, God keeps his promises. A promise that he gave all the way back at at the fall, right after the creation, was finally fulfilled in a barn in Bethlehem thousands of years later. He has promised that Jesus is going to come back someday. And because he kept his promise the first time, we know he's going to keep his promise the second time. Jesus came, God moved at just the right time. You're in God's waiting room this morning. Don't give up. He's not just being silent. He's working. He's laying down the groundwork. He's putting things in place. He's setting the stage. And at just the right time, he's going to move.